0: We were in the last part of our series, The Hard Truth. Um, Have you ever had a time where everything around you was just falling apart? It was just chaos around you? Have you had that happen to you? Um, I went to McDonald's with Brooklyn and Savannah once because I'm a good dad, and I take them to McDonald's sometimes. And so I sacrifice by going and eating something unhealthy that I really don't want to eat. Because I'm a good dad, I will sacrifice to go take them to a place that I actually love. How many of you have never had a Big Mac, just out of curiosity, show of hands, you hat. there's way too many people raising their hands. Jeez, go afterwards and get it, it's delicious. Um, anyways, so um, I took my kids to, to McDonald's, took them to the, if you're from around here, the one in Long Gate, which is a big play place there. Um, I t- took them and they started, we ate, and they started playing up in the play place, and I brought a book, and I was reading a book because I'm sophisticated. Um, so I was reading a book while I was there. I didn't want to scroll through my phone, so I, I brought a book. But I was having a lot of trouble reading because just, Everything around me was going nuts. There was kids screaming everywhere. There was a baby right next to the table I was at crying. There was a kid spilled his milkshake everywhere. I was like, this is brutal. And then Brooklyn Savannah, dad, look at me. And they go down the slide, dad, look at me. And I'm like, I know, okay. So I didn't really get much reading done. And then it came time to leave. And if you have kids, you take them to the playset, You know this. But I came down to leave. And I said, Brooklyn Savannah, it's time to leave. And they heard me. I know they heard me. But they just ignored it. They said, eh, what is he going to do, come get me? And so they just kept going. Like Brooklyn, Savannah, there's kids screaming. There's a baby crying. Kids keep smelling milkshakes everywhere. And I'm just, Brooklyn, Savannah, we got to go. Come on. And they won't come. So I have to climb up into this place to grab them. There's kids screaming everywhere. There's a baby crying. And there's milkshakes all over the floor. Like, come on, let's go. I'm, I bring them down kicking and screaming. I'm not saying that figuratively. I mean, literally, they're kicking and screaming. They don't want to come. I'm putting their shoes on. It's just so stressful. Kids are screaming more than ever. There's like more babies showing up. And then everyone's getting milkshakes. But all of them, everyone's spilling them on the floor. It's just brutal. It's like, we got to get out of here. This is the worst. There's so much stress. So I grab them and I go to walk out a door. That just looks like a normal door. There's nothing wrong with this door. I didn't happen to see the really big sign that I've seen later that says emergency exit. Do not exit. If you do, an alarm will sound. I don't see this. Because I got to get out of here. There's so much going on. There's kids screaming. There's baby crying. Milkshakes everywhere. So I am grab the kids, and I go to get out of this door. Right when I press it, it's the biggest alarm I've ever heard in my life. Brant, 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 brant. Every kid stops and looks at me. Every parent looks at me. And I'm like, oh, no. So I go to leave, and when I do, I accidentally knock Savannah over because she was in my way. Like I'm so sorry. Now she's screaming, crying. There's an alarm going off. Everyone's looking at me. I go to pick her up. And when I do, I had a diaper bag on, and in my diaper bag was a cup of water. You get where this story's going? I go to pick them up, and Brooklyn's here, and this cup of water dumps directly on Brooklyn and covers her in water. Now she's crying. Every kid's crying, and no one is helping me. They're looking at me like, good, you get what you deserve. So I picked them up, and I ran out the emergency exit because it was an emergency. I had to get out of there. It was brutal. Everything around me was falling apart. It was, it was brutal. And that happens in life, right? Where just, it just feels like everything around you is just not going the way it should. That things just keep going wrong. That just there's chaos around you. That everything is falling apart. Throughout this series, we've been talking about, the, about hard truths about how we want to live in a hard truth, that even though it might be difficult, even though it might be challenging, that we want to live in a hard truth, and not a nice lie, because it's not true. We want to take that truth, and even though it might challenge us, that we want to live it out. So we're looking at some of the truths that Jesus said and and that the Bible talks about when it comes to our walk. And and today, the truth we're going to talk about is one that all of us have have gone through. Um, In fact, some of you in the room right now are going through this truth. It's not an easy truth. But all of us know this deep down, and here's the truth, that God will allow you to go through pain. That God will allow you to go through pain. We all know this, but none of us like this. I mean, he is, if, if you believe in a God, if you're here and you believe in a God, then you have to believe that there is a higher being that is in control of everything. That, that would only make sense. If you believe in a higher power that made everything, he has to also be in control of everything. And, and we don't believe that God ever creates evil. We don't believe he can. It's not in his nature. God is a good God. He cannot create evil. However, if God is in control of everything and something bad happens and he could have stopped it but doesn't stop it, isn't he semi to blame for being inactive in it? Like, can't that be his fault? Because he could stop it. I mean, I'm a dad. Uh, sometimes my kids have to go through pain because of consequences in life, because something, they did something wrong, and I get that. I'm all fine with that. But sometimes if they go, or they're doing something and they're about to go through pain, I'm a dad and I will protect them. I'll do whatever it takes. And we talk about how we have a God who loves us like the loving Father, but yet at times he will allow us to go through pain when he could stop it? I mean, there's injustices in this world, there's bad things in this world, and if we believe that there's a God who created everything, controls everything, why doesn't he do anything about it? We all struggle with this. I struggle with this. Why would a good God allow us to go through pain? Why would a God who loves us allow us to go through pain and not do anything about it when he could? Why would that happen? Why does that happen? How can we follow a God who does this? So we're going to be looking in Daniel chapter 3. If you have your Bibles, you can go up to Daniel chapter 3. There's a great story in Daniel chapter 3 that really shows this as well, how God will allow us to go through pain. Let me give you some history with Daniel chapter 3. Here in, in Daniel chapter 3, we're in uh, 587 BC, and the Babylonians have taken over the Israelites. The Israelites are captive under the Babylonians. They are, they are um, there with the Babylonians, and there's a king named King Nebuchadnezzar. And what King Nebuchadnezzar uh, did, he took some of the young, uh, attractive males from Israel and brought them back to Babylon to teach them his literature, to teach um, them his, the way they, they do things, to kind of train them a little bit on stuff. And he brought these people back, and so all these people are here. And then while they're there, there's four people that he decides to keep in Babylon and have them work for him. And that's Daniel, who wrote the, the book of Daniel, and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Those are the four people that he decides. There's others, but those are um, some of the four that he decides to keep. And then we see uh, King Nebuchadnezzar do something that almost all kings did um, back then. In Daniel chapter 3, starting at verse 1, um, we'll, we'll pick up there. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of God 90 feet high and 90 feet wide and set it up on a plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. He then summoned the, the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other providential officials that come to the dedication of the image he had set up. So the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officials assembled in the dedication of the image of King Nebuchadnezzar had set up, and they stood before it. So just to explain what's going on here in case you got confused with all those those other words, Um, King Nebuchadnezzar here makes a big statue of himself makes this big statue of himself, and they, they put the description there on it, and they bring all the people that work for him in front of it, this big statue. And this is not weird, actually. This is actually pretty normal stuff that would happen back then is, is kings would treat themselves like gods because they made everyone else treat, be, treat them like gods, and they would build big statues. So that's what they do, and they bring everybody around. So, uh, pick up in verse 4. Then the herald loudly proclaimed, this is what you are commanded to do, O people, O peoples, nations, and men of every language. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, flute, um, zither, lyre, harp, pipes, and all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever does not do this, whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. So he says, listen, when this happens, then... When this sound goes off, and this band starts playing, everybody here must bow down and worship this God, this idol that I have made of myself. And this, again, this is not weird. This is, all nations did this back then. You must do this. And if you don't, if you decide not to worship, if you decide not to do that, I'm going to throw you into a fire. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they're, they're Jewish boys. They, they are the Israelites. They, they follow uh, the God of the universe. They follow the God that freed their ancestors from Egypt. That's the God that they follow. And one of the things that they are told never to do is bow down to any idols. So now Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are in a little dilemma here. They can either disobey the god Nebuchadnezzar, who's not really a god, but he's pretending to be a god. And if, he does, if they do, they're going to be thrown into a fire. That's what Nebuchadnezzar says. Or they decide to, to disobey their god, the god of Israel. Now, the thing with this is this god has been pretty silent. I mean, this god hasn't showed up. I mean, this God allowed the Israelite people to be captive of Babylon. So they have to d- decide, follow this God who is, who is in front of me and who is going to harm me if I don't, or follow this God that I haven't heard from in a long, long, long time. What do we do? So the sound goes off, the band starts playing, and all of a sudden everyone bows down like they're supposed to. Everyone bows down except for three, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They stand tall. And then these astrologers they see Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and they go and they tattle on them to the king, and they tell the king, "Hey, you're the three people that work for you. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They didn't. They didn't do it. They didn't bend down to you, to your idol. You said they were supposed to do that, and they didn't do it." Let's pick up in verse nine. Yeah, verse nine. Me from here. Yeah, go back to verse nine. I'm sorry, I'm I'm confusing myself. May the king live forever, your majesty, has issued a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music must fall down and worship that image of God. And whoever does not fall fall down and worship will be thrown into a burning furnace. But there are some Jews, there are some Jews, Jews whom you have set over your affairs in the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who pay no attention to you, your majesty, they neither serve your gods nor worship the image you set up. So he says, look, look what happened. You told us they were supposed to bow down. They didn't. So Nebuchadnezzar is furious. He gets so mad. So he calls them up to, to his office or calls them up to his chambers, and he decides he's going to give them another chance. He says, listen, you need to listen to me right now. I'm going to give you one more chance. When that band starts playing again, when all those instruments start playing, you bow down. And if you don't, I'm telling you, you're going in that furnace. It's this, this your last chance. And listen to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's reply. I love this reply that, he, that they say. Uh, sorry, in verse 16, uh, verse 9. Yeah, 16, yeah, sorry. Here's what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego say to the king. O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God will, we serve is able to save us from it, and he will rescue us from your hand, O king. I love this next passage, ready? But even if he does not, We want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Listen, we're not going to do it. If you need to throw us in that furnace, then throw us in that furnace. We will not do it. And I believe, and we believe, that this God, this God who's been silent, is going to save us. But even if he doesn't save us, we're not bowing. We'll go. We'll die in there. But we're not going to bow down to what you have to say. You know in verse 19. Then Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and his attitude towards them changed. He offered the furnace, he ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual, and commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and throw them into the blazing furnace. And he does. They get thrown into this fire. And he makes it so hot that when the soldiers that take Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego go put put them in there, they die because it's so hot. They get thrown into this furnace. So the question we need to ask ourselves and the question that I'm sure that they have asked themselves as well is this. What do you do? What do you do when what you see is different than what you believe? What do you do when your circumstances around you are different than what you believe? Do you believe that God loves you and that He's there for you and that, and that He will always protect you? But what you see is not what you believe. What do you do? I'm going to give you a little illustration here, nice little uh, whiteboard from uh, Joel, Frank and Michelle's kid, that we stole from him. Um, so there's this thing called the dip. I don't know if you guys ever heard of it. It was a book written by a, a leader um, by, by an author named Seth Godin. He wrote a leadership book. And then Craig Rochelle, which is a, a pretty famous pastor, he took this idea and um, he changed the concept um, to talk about what we're going to talk about today. Um, so here's what it looks like here. The dip. So when you enter into a relationship with Jesus, we're here. When you first give your life to Christ, this is where we start, right? Um, for some of you, you think about that time, if, if you're here and you're a follower of Jesus, think about that time where you first accepted God's grace and accepted his sacrifice on the cross for you when you did that. Think about whatever that time is for you, okay? Think about that situation. For some of you, you're, you're here now, that you've been feeling God draw himself closer, you've been feeling God's grace drawing himself closer to you, and, and you're thinking about, about your next step. Here we are. And here's what most of the time happens when you first enter into a relationship with Jesus. Things are going pretty good. Like, life's pretty good. Every sermon you hear is like, man, it hits you. It's like they know what you need to hear. Every worship you hear just gives you goosebumps. Um, your, your, your family's going great. Um, your kids, your kids are doing great. Your marriage is just, everything's going great. Then you get to this point where it starts to not be as good. Where maybe you hear a sermon that's like, I don't like that sermon as much. That didn't really speak to me. Maybe you hear a song that's like, what song is that? You're not getting it. Maybe your relationship starts suffering a little bit, Maybe your kids, something's wrong with your kids. And life's not as good as it used to be. And then, before you know it, not only is it just not the same, you're going down. Something bad happens in your life. Maybe a loved one of yours gets sick. Maybe you get sick. Maybe your marriage, your relationships are a little rocky, and you're starting to question things, and you hit this point, this point in your faith. And we're going to call this point Crisis of Belief. You're at a crisis of belief, that you don't know what to believe anymore, and you're in this bad situation. And here's what most people do. They tend to do two things. They try to go back here to their spiritual high moment. It's like, you know what, if I just ignore it and I just go right back to it, if I go back then I'll just naively go back to this, I just want that moment back, but we can't do that because it's naive of us, it doesn't even make sense. Or we go, you know what, I, I thought this but I'm not hearing it, so because of this crisis of belief here, I'm going to go over here and say, forget you, God. I'm done. You know what? I thought this. You said this, but man, life's not so great anymore. God, you said you love me, but how come I'm going through all this pain? God, you said you'd always be there for me, but how come I feel so alone? God, you said you'd always speak to me, but I haven't heard you in a long time, so we say, forget you, God. If that's what it's going to take, not doing it. That's two, two things that a lot of us do. We go, when we hit that moment, However, there's a third option. If we keep going, we keep persevering, things aren't going to get better at first. In fact, they might get worse. That loved one that got sick, you've been praying for them to be healed, they may pass away. Those relationships you're trying to work out are getting worse. Your kids, you were hoping they wouldn't go a direction, they're going even worse in that direction. Things keep getting worse. But if you keep pushing and you keep persevering and you keep going, eventually things will start to turn around. And before you know it, when you keep trusting in God and keep pushing and keep going forward, eventually you're going to get to a moment where you have a bigger spiritual high than you've ever had before. And the reason you have that is because you went through a crisis of belief, because you went through the fire of life, whatever that is, that eventually you have so much security and trust in God because you kept going and it kept getting worse, but eventually you got past it and now you're at a higher spiritual moment than you ever were because you went through a dip. Through a crisis of belief through a fire. Here's, here's what James says. You can skip ahead to James. In chapter 1, verse 2 through 4 says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kind, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Perseverance. It produces per- perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work in you so that you may mature. And complete, not lacking anything. Every person I know who's up here spiritually, who has strong security in their faith with God, has gone through this. Every single one has gone through a fire, has gone through a crisis of belief, has gone through that. They persevered. So you have options. You can go try to go back to the spiritual high, which you'll never be able to do. You'll go right back down. You can say forget God, or you can keep pushing, and eventually you'll get to a higher spiritual moment. So the question is, how how do you persevere? how do you actually do this? How do you keep going when life gets harder? How do you keep going when you're in the midst of a fire in your life? How do you do that? There's two ways. First way is this. Number one, you listen. You listen. You listen for God's voice. You listen for God to speak to you. When you are going through this crisis of belief, when you're going through that fire, listen. Listen to what God has to say to you. John chapter 10, verse 27 through 28 says this way, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. We take some time and we listen. We don't normally do this. This actually is not your first reaction. Normally what happens when we get to this crisis of belief and we get into that fire, when we get there, we say, God, where are you? And then we don't listen. That's normally what we do. We blame God for it, and then we just ignore him. That's normally our reaction. But we need to take time to listen to what the God of the universe has to say to you. Because I promise you, if you listen long enough, God will speak to you. I promise you. If you listen, and you listen long enough, God will speak to you. Say, how, how, how does he speak to me? There's a lot of ways he can speak to you. He can speak to you directly. You can hear him. I've never had that happen. I know people that have. That can happen. That can happen. How else can it happen? By reading his word. God's speaking to you through this all the time. And there'll be times where you're going through a fire and you're reading things like, this doesn't make sense, I don't care about this. And then all of a sudden something hits you because that's God speaking to you through his word. How else can God speak to you? God can speak to you through other people, through other people around you, through people that you have held accountable, through those people. They can speak to you that way. There's a lot of different ways. Through your circumstances, through doors that God's are opening for you, through your conscience, there's a lot of ways God can speak to you, but you have to listen if you want to hear Him. Uh, just this week, I was at a meeting with um, a couple other pastors and our district superintendent who's like my boss, so I'm always like, I dress up when I'm around him. Uh, I want to make a good impression. Um, Here I wear t-shirts, but there I I wear a tie. Just kidding. I never wear a tie. Um, So so I'm there in this meeting, and he's talking to all of us, and he starts talking to this pastor next to me, and that pastor, I'm sitting next to him, he's on his phone the whole time. Not like taking notes, like Facebook and like Instagram, just kind of scrolling through it. And I was like, man, that's bold. He's your boss. And then eventually, the district superintendent starts talking to him, and he literally doesn't stop. He just starts scrolling, and he doesn't hear him. He just scrolling through. And he's like, "Hey, I'm not gonna say his name. I almost did. Um, hey, whatever. Can hello." And then he had to be like, "Hey, are you listening?" And he goes, "Oh, I'm so sorry. I'm sorry. You know why I wasn't listening? Because he was distracted. He was on his phone. He wasn't paying attention." I worked with students for a long time. They're on their phones a lot. It takes the I, I would have to tell them, "Hey, can you put your phone down so you can like listen to me?" And like, "I'm taking notes." I'm like, "You're not taking notes. I know you're not." So we have to take time to listen. When you're going through this, if you're going through a fire in life right now. Take time to listen. Take some time in your, in, throughout this week, five, ten minutes of just silence and listen for God. And I'm telling you, the first day, it's not going to happen. Second day, it probably won't happen either. In fact, it's probably going to take longer than a week. you go, I just feel like I'm just have all these thoughts. I don't know what I'm thinking. Listen, because God will speak to you. You might not like what he says, but he's going to speak to you. So how do we persevere? Number one, we listen. Number two, how do we persevere? We wait. We wait. We listen and then we wait. We hate waiting, all of us do. I can prove it to you, ready? How terrible was that? That sucked, right? That was only like 20 seconds of waiting. That wasn't very long, right? That was brutal. How uncomfortable were you? I could see you. You wouldn't even look at me. You're like, this is so uncomfortable. Because we hate waiting. We hate waiting for stuff. I get it. We all do. But we have to listen for God, and then we have to wait for him. We have to wait. Micah 7 verse 7 says this, but as for me, I watch and hope for the Lord. I wait for my God, my Savior. My God will hear me. Wait for him. Because if God tells you something and you listen and you know God's speaking to you, if you know God's speaking to you through his word, through other people, you know God's speaking to you, wait. Because if he says he's going to do something, he will do it. He will come through. It might not happen at the time we want it to, but we need to wait. We need to wait. If he promises something, it will happen. You persevere. By listening and waiting. That's how you persevere. When you're in this crisis of belief and in this fire, you listen for God to speak. You actively listen. You want to say, God, speak to me. You take time and make, make it as silent as possible and try to listen to God. You read your word. You go around other people that, that are strong Christians and you say, "I, I just, I'm, here's what I'm going through. And you listen for God. And then when you know he's speaking to you, you wait for him to come through because he will come through. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they are thrown in this, in this fire because they wouldn't listen to what King Nebuchadnezzar had to say. So you want us to bow? I'm not, We're not bowing. I'm telling you, we are not bowing in front of you. We're not going to do it. And we're going to be thrown in the fire. So they get thrown into the fire, and then look what happens in verse 24. They're in the fire. Then King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, weren't there three men? That were tied up and thrown into the fire? Wasn't there three? They replied, Certainly, O king. He said, Look, I see four men walking around the fire, unbound and unharmed. And the fourth looks like the son of the gods. There's four. God did not rescue them from the fire. You know what God did instead? He went into the fire with them. That's the difference. That God will allow you to go through pain, but he won't allow you to do it alone. That we serve a God who goes into our fires, who goes into our crisis of belief, who goes into our struggles, who goes into our pain, and he walks it with us. He doesn't prevent it. He lives it out with you. Some of you, you're going through a fire right now. I don't know what that fire is for you. Maybe some of you in this room, you've been trying to have kids, and you can't. You've been trying for years to have kids and just nothing's happening. Everyone around you seems to be having kids and you just keep trying to have kids and and, and for some reason you are not having kids. You've been praying to God, God, we desperately want to have kids, but yet you haven't heard anything. You're in a fire. You're in crisis of belief. Maybe for you, your your family members are struggling. Maybe some of your family members are, are sick. You've been praying for God to heal them. Or maybe they've been struggling with an addiction and you've been wanting to do something about it but there's nothing, you've tried everything but yet they keep going down that path and you're struggling, you're saying, God, where are you? And you're in a fire right now. Maybe that's you. Maybe you're sick. You got a bad doctor's note. God, where are you? I know you can heal me. You keep getting sicker. You're in a fire. Maybe your relationships aren't like they used to be. Maybe in a marriage that's just barely holding on and you tried going to counseling, you tried praying and you don't know what else to do, you are in a fire. Maybe that's you. Maybe you've seen your kids go down a path that you never wanted them to go down and you can't do anything about it because at the end of the day, they make their own decisions and you've done everything you can to protect them, you've done everything you can to guide them but yet they're going down a path and you just wish you could do something about it. Say, God, please I pray that you turn them back to you and yet they keep going further and further away. You are in a fire. Maybe that's you. A lot of us are in fires. Maybe for you, your fire is doubt. You've been struggling. You don't feel like God's spoken to you for a long time, and this faith that you've had forever, you're like, I don't know if I really have this faith anymore. I mean, I'm kind of past this at this point. And you've been praying, God, speak to me. I want to follow you, but yet all you hear is silence. You are in a fire. Here's what you need to know. When you're in that fire, when you're in that crisis of belief, God's there with you. And we can know that because when we look at a wooden cross, that is God coming to us, saying that I am going to sacrifice my own son for you. Any pain you go through in life, God can say, I know how that feels. Because Jesus came and lived it out. Family members passed away. He had friends that passed away. Doubts, anxiety. Before the cross, Jesus was so anxious about going on the cross that he sweated blood. That's how anxious he was. You've gone through anxiety. Jesus knows anxiety. Doing something that you you don't want to do, Jesus has done that. But yet Jesus can walk in the fire with you. We know that because we see a wooden cross. Because Jesus went up on a cross and died for us so that you and I could have salvation. That we don't have to do anything to earn it, that all we have to do is accept it. His grace. Some of you right now are in a fire. You're in a crisis of belief. And you're questioning why would a good God allow me to do this? Here's what you need to know a good God walks through it with you. That's what a good God does. You might say, well, what if I pray and it doesn't work out? What if I pray for this person to get healed and they don't get healed? What if I pray that my my kids return and they never return? What if I do that and and God never shows up? Then we need to respond the same way Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego respond. I believe that God can do miracles in whatever situation we're in. I believe that God can show up in this. But even if he doesn't, even if he doesn't, I'm still going to praise him. Even if he doesn't, I'm not going to leave. Even if it keeps getting worse and worse and worse, I will persevere. Even if he doesn't, I'll be there following him. Why? Because he died on a cross for us. That even if Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego died in that fire, they weren't going to abandon him. Some of you are in a fire right now. You're going through something. You've been praying. I I encourage you, persevere. Persevere. Listen and wait because the God of the universe loves you so much that he's walking in that fire with you. I thought there was no better way of closing a message like this than um, taking communion together. It's just a way for us to reflect on the sacrifice that God made for us. The sacrifice that God made for us on that cross. So in a couple minutes, the, the host team is going to start getting ready and they going to start coming on up when they're ready but we're going to take communion together. This is just a way for us to remember the sacrifice that Jesus made for us. So if you are here and you are in a fire, as you eat that bread and as you drink that cup, remember the God of the universe loves you. The God of the universe is there for you and he's walking in that fire with you. We know that because he broke his body and poured out his blood for us. So the green team come on up. And um, I'm going to ask everyone, they can just come right in through the middle and come right on up. Uh, we have uh, some gluten-free, if you need gluten-free, um, right over here on uh, the crackers. Then you can grab a piece of bread and a cup. And go ahead and take a seat. We'll take it together. Um, and I just want you to take this moment to just pray to the God who walks in the fire with you. And if you're here and you're not a, a, a member or owner of Impact Church, you're still welcome to come. You don't have to be an owner of this church in order to take communion with us. You just need to be a follower of Jesus. And maybe for you, you're at that first beginning part. If that's you, then you can accept God's grace through this communion. That God can work through you and he's drawing you closer through this. So I want to encourage you um, as we get ready to take communion to come on up, to grab a piece of bread and cup and take a seat. We'll take it together. You can come on up.